so I want to stress that I'm, I'm not an academic person, uh, in the sense that I'm not here to provide super detailed information and insights into, you know, what I've been personally diving into. So whenever I talk about concepts like the persona, ego, shadow, and self, I am not saying that my word is the final word. Please go do research and, you know, figure out how that connects to you. Because one of the things that I find value in when I'm searching for something is the ways that something is said and how that connects to me. And so I could probably read something in a textbook that would feel uh, like something anyone could understand, but I need maybe a particular type of voice or the way that someone says something for, for something to really click with me. And I think that's what I try to bring to this podcast is that perhaps it's my way of saying things or my perspective that does make something click for you. So I just want to emphasize that as I share some of these concepts of, well, essentially I've been discovering and trying to figure out the anima uh, f- for me as a male and for females or feminine energy, it will be animus. So uh, when I say male or female or masculine or feminine, I'm referring to the energy, not necessarily gender as it's defined culturally and all of that stuff. Uh, so, you know, your interpretation, you know, match that up to your situation. Uh, so the anima I've been discovering is, you know, it's a Greek preface for animal, which is typically defined as the soul. And Carl Jung talks about persona, ego, shadow, self, uh, and anima, animus. Uh, Actually, if we're going like kind of top down, and I think I'll make the diagram, the podcast image for this episode, where it's a, at the top, it is persona, that is typically what we bring to the world. It's sort of what we were, uh, sometimes you can think of it as like what we were indoctrinated into or the, the appeal that we're trying to create to the world around us consciously, like the image that we present, who we create ourselves to be. And underneath that is the ego. And the ego typically has all sorts of needs that are trying to be met. We have desires, we have safety needs, sort of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a sense. All of those things are ego things, uh, shelter, security, love and belonging, um, basic survival needs, food, water, sex, uh, and then, you know, self-esteem and getting to actualization. Even sometimes the pursuit of actualization is very much an ego desire to not feel any pain ever again, right? Sometimes, uh, I think the Enneagram really defines the nine types or the 27 types of ego really well. And so if you're trying to discover uh, your ego fixation, I think trying to discover your Enneagram type is really good for that. Um, In some ways, the Myers-Briggs types are really good for discovering persona. Actually, I probably think Ocean, the, the big five, is probably best for discovering persona because often you know, conscientiousness or neuroticism or anything like that can be, it's more trait-based, whereas Myers-Briggs is more mental wiring-based. It's a little closer to self. Uh, It's more of like how we use our brain, not necessarily what we use our brain for. 
the ego part, the Enneagram, is sort of like what we use our brain for. And that's kind of more about that ego motivation in a sense. So I think that's really helpful. So we've got persona, we've got ego, we've got self, which is sort of like the center of this. So we've got center, uh, self in the center, and then above that we've got ego, and then above that we've got persona in sort of like the conscious realm, or what's capable of being conscious in a sense. And then we've got self. Self is uh, a lot of ways like what our essence is, what is our sense of self, what our individuation in a lot of ways. And I'm still wanting to explore more of what individuation really means, um, as opposed to wholeness and collective consciousness, because individuation is not necessarily toxic separation from society, not lone wolf, not denying yourself of help, um, not playing the, the, the game of society, right? Uh, individuation is, is sort of part of the constant reassessment that comes from exploring the shadow and the anima. So the shadow is underneath self. Shadow is getting to know all of our prejudices, especially related to the collective. As we have uh, developed ego needs, there are things that we've had to push down. So in a way, ego and shadow are sort of yin and yang in a sense, where ego is the things that we desire or the feel that we things that we feel that we need based on fear and um any sort of uh desires the shadow is the repression often of an emotion or a need that we feel is not necessarily safe so for me as an enneagram 1 i'm realizing that there's a lot of shadow repression around enneagram 2 and i talked about that in the last podcast and that repressing those things is what made me feel safe. So when I push those things, if the ego pushes those things down, then they become shadow elements. And the reason that they're a shadow is because if you're standing in front of a light and the shadow is being cast behind you, you can't necessarily see your shadow unless you move the light and you're trying to consciously look for the shadow. But other people can see the shadow behind you. And your shadow is material that you've decided is something you want to hide away, but the shadow element is like leaking out in everyday life all the time. Our shadow elements are, they show up in like repressed anger. It's something that someone else can see that you can't see. One of the great ways that I've heard shadow described is it's the me that I can't see, but other people typically can, or they experience it at least. They maybe experience, uh, they, they, it's those questions you have about someone when you're like, do they actually not like me? Um, or like their words and their actions don't quite line up. And sometimes the actions, the body, you know, gives it away because we have needs. And the brain is typically trying to create mental constructs that defend ourselves from our own animal instincts, especially as we are like societally constructed and uh, are assimilating ourselves into whatever society we're growing up in. We are having to for the sake of society, repress a lot of things. Like, you can't show up to work and murder the secretary. You just you just can't do that. Even if you have a repressed desire to do that, um, that's an extreme example. But there may be something where you desire a person that you work with, and to aggressively pursue them may be inappropriate. Uh, in the case of me, again, as an Enneagram 1, 
uh, I've decided that sadness is something that's just not helpful to my survival. And that's relative, again, to me being an Enneagram 1, whereas an Enneagram 4 may see sadness as pivotal to their survival, and they may see being practical and quote-unquote boring or typical as something that they repress. And so they may not necessarily take on uh, day-to-day tasks that would actually benefit their health and society and their circumstance, instead choosing to be in suffering because they feel like if somebody pities them or gives them suffering or sees that they're uniquely special, that they will get special treatment and therefore get, you know, societal, get their needs met. Every single Enneagram type is doing something in pursuit of getting needs met uh, or what they perceive as the needs that need to get met, right? Uh, Enneagram sevens can be quote unquote entertaining and that can be very much a Uh, a method of trying to get needs met. Sometimes the need is not being bored for an Enneagram 7, because boredom can be the equivalent of feeling lonely. And, you know, an Enneagram 7 can have the hardest time feeling lonely. Enneagram 2s can also have a difficult time feeling lonely. And so when they start to feel their own pain, they reach for the phone and talk to someone and try to figure out what are their problems, and I can help them with their problems. And Again, helping people for an Enneagram 2 is sort of a way of trying to get their own needs met. That's that reciprocity I was talking about in the previous podcast episode. So each type has kind of its own thing. Um, And I know I have a lot of Enneagram 5s listening, so I probably should mention Enneagram 5. Enneagram 5 typically feels, in a way, similar but opposite to Enneagram 4. That It's about, they feel that if they show their emotion then it will put them in danger and usually resort to more specialized intellectual things because if they figure out a specialty, something that only they are good at, then they will be called upon when that is needed and that will get a need met. Um, Or that they can be the smartest person in the room and that will get their need met. Sometimes that means um, playing devil's advocate all the time. And it's maybe not even uh, taking a position that they don't necessarily agree with because it's sort of like a shifting sides all the time. And whatever is the correct answer is the side that I want to be on or whatever is the, the smartest answer is the side that I want to be on because those are the, that's the winning side, the smartest side, <laughs> the smartest team is the team that's going to win um, depending on your, your instinct. And so that's just a tiny taste, but in a sense, repressing emotion is not good. Um, so like shadow leaks out for each Enneagram type two, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but for me as a one, again, there's a repression of my anger. And if I'm not conscious of my own repression of my anger, it's going to leak out and other people are going to notice how tense I am or notice that there is something that I'm not sharing. Um, that tends to be the case. And so the shadow is something that other people can see behind you, but if you're not consciously looking for it, looking for the tendencies that you exhibit that equal shadow tendencies, the repressed emotion typically, and then a subpersonality sort of shows up. And sometimes in, in extreme circumstances, that subpersonality can, you know, take over at times in, in very extreme circumstances to because there are needs that can get met with those oppressed repressed emotions we just have a belief that those repressed emotions are no good or useless 
and so we just set them aside. And so now we get to like the bottom of the diagram, which is the anima, and I'm getting to know the anima as the soul, the essence of who we are. In a lot of ways, it can be described as like the mind or the psyche, sort of the if you think about the universe and you think about our ego as the planet that we live on, the psyche or the anima is the cosmos. It is space. It is everything else. And so in a lot of ways, you might see things around the internet saying that you need to integrate your anima the same way that you need to integrate your shadow. That Your shadow is not necessarily something to integrate, but it's something to respect. And the anima is also something to respect, especially so because if you try to integrate or do archetypal work around an anima element, then it can just completely envelop your ego and persona and self and become something completely different. You become much more raw ego animist, animistic, and that gets into very unhealthy territory because in a lot of ways, based on the society version of ourselves, the persona, it, it again is like kind of opposing persona. Persona is this, this, this self that we construct. Anima is this, this complete shadow fullness of who we are in our animalistic needs. I was listening to an Elon Musk interview yesterday and he said something to the effect of like, we are monkeys with computers in our brains. <laughs> and, um, I just thought that was a really funny way to look at it. In a lot of ways, our anima or animus is is that instinctual self, that that core need. And sometimes that core need is fighting for attention. It's fighting for to be listened to because our instincts can be very much right. That if we are off, we are trying to fit in. We are trying to fit into a society. Then we have to repress that part of ourselves because again, you can't walk into a uh, into an office building, have an argument with the secretary and then just bludgeon them. You just, you just can't do that, even though that instinct might exist. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of an acknowledgement of that element of ourselves, but then also having a conversation of, of compromise in a sense. Right. So in reference to the shadow, also there's kind of like this alter ego element. So when I'm talking about subconscious or subpersonality, that's kind of alter ego. And these things have conversations, you start to have conversations within yourself with these, about these things, as it starts to become revealed to yourself, you start to notice, you know, the quote unquote, bad thoughts that you have, and not just giving into them, or necessarily giving logic to them, especially as INTPs that tend to be my audience. It's not about giving logic to this underside of yourself but just acknowledging, acknowledging it exists. And with the anima, the anima is typically described as the opposite sexual energy. So for masculine person, the anima is the feminine energy. And then for the animus, the, for the female, that is the masculine energy. <clears throat> and in a lot of ways, anima has been described as the relating function, not a cognitive function, just the relating function within ourselves it is the way of, of getting to know our inner cosmos and desires based on how we relate to the opposing energy, not opposing, opposing is not right. It's not, it's, it's an, it's a polarity, but it's not an opposite necessarily. Uh, it's, 
it's just uh, uh, the different energy. And so for, for myself, for example, it's not, it's not an inner woman. It's not an inner female. It is uh, an inner self. It is me. It is, it is all of the cosmos that I start to explore within myself. But the way that I get to know myself is through how I relate to feminine energy in the outside world. And it's, it's a mirror in a sense. And the more that you get an opportunity to relate to people, the more to, to women as a, as a man and for women, you more, you get to relate to men, relate to, maybe not relate to relate to sounds like, uh, inner feminine, but relate with, right? The more you can relate with women and have conversations with and friendships with, and yeah, sometimes sexual relationships with and intimacy with. But I think for a lot of men, unfortunately, there is too much of an emphasis sort of based on the cultural opposite of persona, the masculine persona that is cast upon a lot of men and that is believed for a lot of men is to over-sexualize your relationship with the feminine. And in a lot of ways, that means you end up over-sexualizing your relationship with yourself and with that uh, animal instinctual self, for better or worse. That means that I talked about in previous podcasts that I had an unhealthy relationship with masturbation and that I was using that as a flight freeze mechanism. And I think a lot of young men do that to either do you know what I was doing or because there is rampant fantasizing about the relationships with women that they have in their life. And they're not necessarily relating with women. Some of the healthiest men that I know are not necessarily quote unquote, embracing their feminine side or being more feminine, but are those that can easily relate with women that can have conversations with women without putting a predatory energy into the relationship. Now there's, you know, there's moments where you are attracted to someone and you want to make that happen. I'm not saying to repress that because repression of that is also overvaluing the persona and ignoring the anima completely. And, um, relating with, and again, there's more advanced material out there about this. Um, uh, I think there's a, there's a YouTube channel called, uh, uh, young in my life. I think it's called, I think if you just search young and life and anima, there's some really great videos with a Jungian psychologist who has been doing his work for 40 years. And that's a lot of what I'm referencing. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to put it in simplified language, but I think the important point that I wanted to share or what connected with me that wasn't necessarily, uh, put in this way in the videos is the relating with part and having healthier relationships with the opposite sex. I'm just going to say the opposite sex for the sake of semantics. Um, and having healthier relationships. And I, I realized in my past, I felt that because I had a, had an unhealthy relationship with myself. I didn't see myself as attractive. I didn't see myself as, as viable for lack of a better word. I didn't see myself as a sexual being and, or, or someone that was, uh, relatable and connectable to, right? Not even sexual, just someone that is willing to, someone else is willing to connect with that. I then over-sexualized all of my connections with women through 
sort of more of a manipulative means. You know, I have a very manipulative streak. My my anima, I believe, is my my inner ESFJ, I believe, is more of an Aphrodite archetype. If you look into the books, uh, goddesses in every woman, there are either they're trying to describe the main archetype for women or the anima for men. And so you can, there's, there's Demeter, there's Artemis, there's all of the Greek gods, essentially, and they have different descriptions. And, you know, perhaps if you're trying to discover your own shadow and anima experience, you can relate to that. But I believe my anima is more of an Aphrodite. And whereas I've used a lot of charm and have very much used a lot of manipulative tactics to try to, you know, make, uh, sexual things happening, happen. And it wasn't necessarily honestly relating with women. It was with an intent. It was with an intent to sleep with them. Uh, even if it was like an eventuality, right? It was like becoming friends with someone to eventually find my way in there, right? Um, literally. And <laughs> and um, the challenge now, or, or the reason that I've been exploring this is because I have a, like the healthiest, happiest relationship I've ever had in my life. And I don't feel this need to seek other, like I'm very happy in my monogamous relationship, but I still have people in life that I want to relate to and connect with that's on a non-sexual level and where I can acknowledge that there's an attraction there and it, it doesn't need to be anything or go anywhere. And I don't need to necessarily, uh, uh, obsess over a certain type or anything like that. Like that's just not in my wheelhouse anymore. So this now translates to developing a healthy relationship with relating with women, especially those that are close to me in my life and realizing how big of a pervasive issue this is with a lot of young men who are overvaluing the desire for a sexual relationship with a woman, because then later in life, you don't know how to relate with women, and when if your wife passes away before you do, a lot of men die of heartbreak within the first year because then they don't have a connection or community or network of people that they can have an intimate relationship with or that they can relate with and emotionally express themselves. So one of the big challenges, and one of the reasons I'm talking about this is because if you're a younger person listening to this, uh, to try to figure out a balance of listening to this anima part of you. Again, it's not about integration. It's about a, uh, sometimes it's talk about, it, it's, it's referred to as wedding, like marrying the anima within ourselves and having a partnership in a sense is what that means. Not a mystical union. It's not convergence. It's not, um, it's not becoming whole. It's not because if you try to do that, the anima will take over. The cosmos is much bigger than the earth, for example. The ego and self are smaller relative to the anima. And whereas the shadow is the is equivalent to the ego in, in that, you know, the shadow cast, depending on the light's position, can be bigger or smaller, but typically is around the same size or relative to the size Anima is, again, it's like space. Space is just massive, all-enveloping, all-encompassing. 
So at the end of the day, if you are to get cast out of society, for example, or come into an extreme circumstance where you're backed into a corner, the anima will awaken and you will get into more animalistic territory for the sake of sake of instinctual survival. And so getting in touch with this anima side is also getting in touch with your bodily instincts. And sometimes that includes sexuality, but it's in those moments. It's not making sex a mental thing. And I think that's what happens with persona with a lot of men. They end up either through the act of trying to repress it through maybe religious means and it becomes a major shadow element or they lean into it too much and maybe blame uh, women for all their problems uh, because of the amount of times they've been rejected and don't work on themselves. Um, and uh, that becomes either another shadow element or just becomes part of their persona. It becomes part of their identity to cast out women or to be a, a player or like a, a, a uh, to get into like pickup games and stuff like that. It becomes about conquering women instead of relating with women. And um, that becomes a very unhealthy relationship with women as a whole, right? And so I think this is really important to have this partnership with the inner anima because to relate with women is, again, to understand the inner self. And it's the same for women, to get to know men, to relate with men, to understand the masculine element of the self is to have a better, fuller relationship with yourself and to um, be able to have a conversation with the anima within yourself and say, like, look, I want to survive too. I want to thrive. I, I, I want to make sure we're getting our needs met. I want to make sure that um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to listen to you. And we're going to compromise and we're going to figure out how we can navigate all of this together. And um, it gets into much more complex territories, which I don't feel like necessarily qualified to talk about. But for me, it's been something that is, I feel much more instinctual energy. Like I feel like I can get up and, and move my body more and just say like, okay, Anima, it's your turn. And you just like move your body and you're just letting go. And, um, you know, letting this instinctual side of you play more or when you're in a sexual circumstance, like in, in an intimate situation with somebody to, you know, let that loose, let that play out. Right. <laughs> let it happen. And, um, you know, and, and a physical movement is an important part of that. So it all relates to our instinctual energy in a sense. Um, so there's probably more that I will uncover as I continue to explore this, but I thought it was worth sharing, especially if you're a young man. I think that um, making sure that you're not just trying to coerce someone to like you, or you're trying to trick someone, or you're trying to figure out pickup game, or you're trying to figure out how the opposite sex quote unquote works intellectually, uh, relating with is going to be really the the biggest um the 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 biggest influence in your life the biggest um the biggest win you can get is having conversations with women without intent and i, I don't and i don't mean <laughs> i don't mean picking someone you're not attracted to and having a conversation with them because that's easy but you know choosing someone that 
uh, just having conversations with people without uh, a sexual intent. Because then that make that usually makes you more nervous, right? Like you show up and you're trying to do something. You're trying to make something happen. And that sort of like taints the energy of the experience. Uh, you know, just, just practice relating with someone. Just treat them as a person. And then you get to have that aspect reflected. Uh, there's more stuff related to like the types of people you tend to be attracted to. I think there's there's a mirroring element of the anima that is more prevalent than the shadow. Where the shadow the shadow is often revealed by what we're triggered by because it's ego related, right? So the, the triggers are basically an ego fear, right? It's an ego fear of of death or that something we believe in is going to lead to some sort of uh not getting our needs met. And so that translates into a trigger. The trigger is usually revealing a shadow element. Whereas with the persona and anima, it's, it, it's much deeper than that. And it's, it's getting to know something that we probably don't, we don't necessarily have, uh, immediate access to just by quote unquote thinking about it. And so that's why relating with the opposing energy, the, the opposing sexual energy is is so important and not just trying to conceptualize it if that makes sense so yeah i think that's it i think that's all uh i i, I hope i hope i did it justice in some sort of way uh you know persona ego shadow anima and self uh i, I think those elements are interesting and to not necessarily treat it like a achievement right it's like you hear a lot of young men that are just like i need to integrate my shadow because it's like that may actually be your ego trying to (laughs) feel that if you cover all these other blind spots that you're going to get all your needs met um which creates more shadows right (laughs) so uh i think shadow work will will come as it's needed uh anima work will come as it's needed you may necessarily be in a place like a lot of people are still trying to understand persona. You know, that's where personality in terms of MBTI comes in or big five comes in. And then ego is like kind of getting into the Enneagram. Uh, self is more of an inner introspection. And then shadow is a little bit reflective into the outside world uh, from other people or people that trigger you and kind of doing an interchanging game of introspection and then bounced off of another person and then anima is more of a a, an unconscious mirroring and then trusting that the anima is also in your best interest trying to help you but is not necessarily something that should take over at the same time so again don't fully take my word for it go do your research young to live by i think is the or yeah young to live by i think that's the name of the youtube channel was really helpful. He's an INTP. He's very well learned, very academic. I'm not an academic type. I'm just a person that talks on my cell phone, sometimes on a microphone. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I'm just doing my best. So with that said, I very much appreciate you. Thank you for so much for listening. We have courses at happychemicals.org. Feel free to go check that out if that's something that interests you. We also have an email list on the website. There's like a pop-up and you can sign up for that. Um, there is a, 
a three-part mini-series of podcasts, a secret podcast called Exploring the Inner Cosmos, which kind of starts to get into this introspective place and also creative expression place. Um, oh, Anima is also really great for for expression, um, raw expression, like getting out of the perfection of persona and loosening up a little bit. Um, Molly's really great at helping me with that too. And it's, it's at, at its essence, whether it's you're male or female or, or in terms of energy, um, that the, your partner in life is very much as you relate and get intimate with them, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. And I think in terms of uh, relating with more people on an intimate level that's not necessarily threatening to your relationship right is going to be helpful to expanding your consciousness and unconscious ability as well so that's all it is happychemicals.org i appreciate you like subscribe share and all that fun stuff and i'll catch you next time on dopamine so much for short podcasts right all right see you bye i wanted to add a quick final thought because i talked a lot about men and the over-sexualized uh, anima at times, but I'm finding that as there is this, this, this wheel turn for women embracing more of a masculine side of themselves, there is plenty of women who are over-sexualizing their animus now and is also something to look out for. So I didn't want to, I basically wanted to point out that I wasn't necessarily picking on one side versus the other, um, and everything in between, right? Even, even plenty of women over sexualizing women, uh, as well. And, uh, depending on, you know, again, this is why this is like about energy, right? If you're bringing more of a masculine energy, you may be over sexualizing, uh, women with an anima energy in a sense, you know, if you're, if you're associating with like maybe non-binary or, you know, something to that effect, right? Um, it, it that's why I emphasize it's about energy. So if you're bringing more of a masculine energy, typically you may be experiencing a feminine anima and over-sexualizing women, and then vice versa. If you're bringing more of a feminine energy, you may be over, uh, over-sexualizing the animus of over-sexualizing men, um, especially as the public is... Uh, sort of turning those wheels a little bit, you know, it, it, it kind of goes to these extremes. A lot of men are in an effort to be more supportive of the feminine are repressing their masculinity. And it's not about repressing your masculinity or femininity. It's about relating with and fully becoming whole and getting to know this other side. It's not about, because then, because if you're trying to repress the one side and you get to know the other, it becomes a game of whack-a-mole. And again, you're letting that anima then take over because you're saying my masculine side is not relevant and I'm going to let the feminine anima take over. And then that becomes unhealthy. Or if you're feminine and you're in a circumstance where you're needing to be more masculine you may repress the feminine aspect of yourself and let the animus take over. And the anima animus take over is more of an animalistic takeover. And that just becomes a little bit more uh, raw and unhealthy. And that creates more shadows and it gets messy, right? So <laughs> um, again, more details of that would be better served by looking at young to live by on 
uh, YouTube and other sources that are talking about this, especially Carl Jung's uh, Collected Works. Um, he talks a lot about shadow and all of that stuff, and I haven't fully dove into all of that stuff. Again, I'm not the academic type. I'm sort of piecemealing all sorts of things together, uh, but I do have a thing. I do think I have a bit of a uh, a talent in an awareness of the collective shadows and collective unconscious. And I'm seeing this collective shadow emerging of a lot of people repressing their dominant energy, especially men in favor of a feminine energy. But then there's also in the name of feminism, there's a lot of women repressing their feminine energy in favor of taking that spot of the repressed masculine energy. And so we're not necessarily becoming whole, we're flip-flopping halves, and uh, that's not helpful to society either. So I'm not saying this is something that we need to go out and preach to people, I'm saying that you listening, to be aware of that in yourself, that if you're a man and you have a masculine energy, or you know whatever relationship you have, a masculine energy, that it's not about repressing it, it's just about relating with the other energy. And if you're a woman, or relate to feminine energy it's about relating with masculine energy does that make sense so i hope that wraps this up in a nice little bow so yeah all right take care of yourself and i'll catch you next time